I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Very near midseason, we've seen the good, bad, and the ugly in the NFL this year. A record-setting number of undefeated teams both flourish and fall, while hopefuls continue to underperform. First, Peyton and the Broncos shock the Rodgers machine. Second, an England-based blowout for Detroit officially ruins the season for the Lions, and I say that Wishing that it wasn't true last week, but it's official now because I said it, so deal with it. Third, a tale of two teams with the just-played Colts sees a sorry, almost sickening defeat as the Colts fall once again, this time in overtime. Welcome to the 4th and 5 NFL Podcast. I'm your belligerent American host, Dylan Baker, with the much more, well, really better at everything, journalist and analyst Jonathan Harding. Each week, we take a look at all the happenings in the National Football League and bring you the highlights from around the country. So, on and off the pitch, we'll keep you informed and entertained. So, turn off your live TVs with videos and people who are paid to do this sort of thing, and let's get started. John, how's it going? Long time. Long time. Long time. Again. (laughs) Again, I can't thank you enough for such a wonderful intro, but... I have to say, definitely not better at everything. So uh, the world is varied enough, and everybody's good at something. So mm. let's just uh, we'll, we'll power together. I think it was just to try and make me feel better after this week. <laughs> mayhaps, mayhaps. We're both in a rather sorry state of being at the moment. I believe. Definitely, I would agree. So we've picked out a couple of games to talk about. Just like again, I would like to say every week, but not quite this time. So. With nothing else to talk about, let's get started. So, in London, Wembley Stadium, Kansas City and the Detroit Lions, what a defeat. What a freaking defeat. And this is one of those games where you go into it saying, you know, the Lions have been poor, Kansas City have been underachieving, especially with the sort of talent that they have. You know, after they lose Jamal Charles again, you think, all right, you know what, fine, whatever. But then they come out, and between 
four of their what would have been backup running backs, including a breakout season for Charkandrick West, who is the hardest name pronounced of all time. <laughs> sounds like a country singer. Yeah, well, it sounds like, ah, it's, it's just so long. It's too many syllables, I think. If it were Chandrick West or Charkrick West or... Uh, that Charkandrick was West with his yeah. new single, Down by the Haystack. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you think with a name like that, it's only appropriate that he has a short last name. If it were Charkandrick... I don't even... If it were Charkandrick and Domican, then all of a sudden you're like, all right, you know what, fine, whatever. But it, no. it's a long first name, short last name. He gets his one touchdown while his three backups to the backup get an additional three touchdowns in a 45-10 to 10 drubbing of the Detroit Lions. I think more miraculously, mate, is that one of those backups was Alex Smith, yeah. and he ran 49 yards on one, rat, on one run. I mean... Yeah, absolutely crazy. The guy, uh, the guy, the guy made me miss him. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially considering the current woes. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and you look at you look at the Chiefs, and you, you you think about teams in the past. Think about Minnesota when they lose Adrian Peterson, for instance. The rushing game tends to tends to you know it, it it's it's a little bit more lackluster. But instead, the Chiefs between four different running backs that perform at relatively high levels, over 200 yards on the ground, four touchdowns, including, again, a another great performance by West. How, it, with the loss of Jamal Charles, and you've got Alex Smith, who's both throwing and running, how important is it, John, that guys like Charkandrick West, that guys, maybe not this game, but hopefully pushing forward like Niall Davis, step up and assume that role, assume that role of, you know, a sort of marquee backfield dating back to the early days of Larry Johnson. How important is that for the Chiefs? It's it's massive. I mean, you know, talking their season is in the balance. I mean, the Lions season is done. They're one and seven, but the the Chiefs are three and five, right? So you're talking about, you know, next couple of games, ultimately deciding in which direction it's going to go. If not just the next week, you've got to take it week by week, but they're, they're facing a fairly critical stage, and you can't have a one-dimensional game. Um, you do need a running back, uh, and even if you've lost your your prime-time running back, you have to make up for it. And I think spreading the load, as it were, in this case, was uh, was a wise thing. Spencer Ware and Anthony Thomas and Nile Davis really didn't get very many touches, so it's I'm not sure it's fair to say that they spread it that well this weekend, but. Trekendrick uh, getting almost a hundred yards of twenty carries. Yeah, it's not particularly effective in that sense. It wasn't sort of pounding the rock kind of thing. But hey, it's a hundred yards. You offer yourself another dimension. And if Alex Smith is going to move with with legs that would make uh, Colin Kaepernick jealous, then there's no reason who? why can who? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. Uh, then there's no reason why they can't. Get get things back on track. You know the most frustrating thing about the Chiefs is that they obviously have a high powered offense. Any team that scores seventeen in the second and fourteen in the fourth, you know it's gonna it's gonna be posing a threat. But I was most impressed with their defense. I have to say, like you know, how many times did Matt Stafford get sacked? Six. So I mean, <laughs> an, an incredible amount, especially coming from a unit such as the Chiefs defense, which has not been the marquee talking point of the of of the Chiefs team for I mean for as long as I've been watching football. Not at all, but I mean Derek Johnson I've always thought and Justin Houston were the were the big leaders in the in that defense and they stepped up massively. 
to stop Joe Bell, okay, we, we haven't really said he was a, a top player, but seven touches for 56 yards wasn't bad. He had a 32-yard run and a breakout run. But, you know, Theo Riddick had five. There was nothing there. Most disappointing was Abmir Abdullah only had one touch for three yards. You know, and you're kind of thinking, well, this guy's supposed to be a promising running back. Why wouldn't you give him the ball more? But they were obviously under a time pressure and they needed to get some points. And Matt Stafford had to try and force a few things here and there. And, yeah, look, the, the Detroit are a weird one. You know, they, I don't really understand it sometimes. Calvin Johnson, massive wide receiver, has has his ankle become so much of a problem now that he just can't perform um, consistently or to the level that basically had him on the front of Madden. Um, <laughs> all of these things, it, the, the, when you look at the Lions team, they're good enough to win games against Kansas, for example. They're sort of on a similar level. They've got playmakers on both sides of the ball, but just got blown out of the water on the other side of the uh, the Atlantic. Yeah, well, and you know, and you look at a couple of different stats here. You know, you you mentioned Derek Johnson, and you you bring up Hussein Abdullah, you bring up Sean Smith. You know, these guys are the are the leading tacklers for the Chiefs defense with five tackles. With five tackles, you you just you usually don't see that sort of low statistic performance unless the defense is performing so well that they're not they're not on the field for very long, and you can tell that. Uh, not only just looking at Stafford's, uh, you know, uh, passing accuracy, but specifically, you know, you look at that sort of team up between Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson that has been so prolific over the years. You know, Johnson gets 10 targets today, or I guess it was a couple of days ago now, and, you know, he only catches half of them. You know, there's a sort of disconnect between one of the marquee quarterback and receiver tandems in the NFL that's just yep. not there anymore. You know, a, he, he has more consistency with Golden Tate and Theo Riddick, who arguably didn't do much of anything, uh, than he does with Calvin Johnson, once the best receiver in the NFL. Uh, he's now lost that title, and rightfully so, I'd say. Absolutely, and it is a good point. It, yeah, and it almost suggests to me that the, the Lions are too dependent on him. You know, if it doesn't work with Johnson, we're not going to win games, and that's a real concern. I think looking at the season now from from their perspective, one and seven, you got to give players like Amir Abdullah more touches just to give him the experience so that you can rebuild going into next year but I there was some talk about trading Johnson um, which is interesting because you know as we said Marquee wide receiver probably the best wide receiver a few years ago in the NFL but the guy's ankle seems to be a consistent problem his general fitness if the connection between him and Matt Stafford isn't there isn't it worth taking out what would probably be and what I believe to be a considerable pay cut out of your 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 cap and basically saying right well out of your budget and saying well we've opened up some space to to make some moves because if Golden Tate and Theo Riddick are going to be players that you go to more often and consistently find more often then what are you really losing you know yeah absolutely well you you couple those two with a guy like Lance Moore. You know, he only has three catches on the day, but he pops a big one for 21 yards, gets himself a touchdown. You know, you've got you've got all the pieces in three wide receivers there. You get someone who's a little bit more consistent than a guy like Theo Riddick. You play Lance Moore in the slot. Uh, you know, you get someone to actually pair up with Golden Tate. And you may very well have a team again. Um, you know, yeah. but at some point in time, you have to question, is, is Calvin Johnson the problem or is Matt Stafford the problem? And... Matt Stafford has been the problem before, so I think it's I think it's a question that really can be played either way. 
Absolutely. I mean, but it would, you make an excellent point with Stafford. The question is, if you go down that route, then that's a number of years of rebuilding because they're not going to be the worst team in the draft. So you're going to have to get <laughs> lucky or you're going to have to sign a QB. Oh, wait, there might be one in the market. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily sure if I would at this point wish that upon the, the Lions because that's, no. that's a complete offense. It's a big change. change. Yeah. It is a big change, and I, I don't think they would do that. I think, but you're right. Staff has been the problem before. Maybe they just reached a point with him now that they've had enough. But I think they have to go one of the two ways. Either Stafford or Johnson will have to go. I think based on the season this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and we're not going to talk too much about them. But you see the same issue with the Bears. You know, uh, the, the difference is is that you've seen more consistent problems out of a guy like Jay Cutler than you have out of a guy like Matt Stafford. So to yeah. be fair, I can understand why a move hasn't been made at this point. But considering going forward, you you see a similar sort of question. You know, there, there there's the question of inconsistency that has led to uh, a 1-7 a season uh, for the Detroit Lions. And you've got to, A, figure out whose fault to put it on, and B, come up with a come up with a contingency plan to move forward. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right, and moving away from the doldrums that has, you know, that took place for the Detroit Lions at Wembley Stadium, we move back to the states, back home to a surprising win. Uh, I would say more than anything, uh Tampa Bay 23 over Atlanta 20. I Huge almost couldn't win. believe it whenever I was watching the score lines when I was going back and watching the highlights. Um you see uh, an almost single-handed performance by Jameis Winston, who, you know, it, if we're if we're being fair, that's the sort of performance that we've been asking out of a guy like Jameis Winston since he came into the league. You know, he has one touchdown in the air. He has one touchdown on the ground. Relatively effective while not putting up too terribly many yards uh, and battling against the Atlanta Falcons, who have had such a great start this year. Um, how important is it going forward for a guy like Winston to know that he can take over a game whenever it's required of him. Yeah, I don't know what, yeah, I mean, it is important to know that, but I think he got a little lucky. Um, I think that <laughs> to be Atlanta, Atlanta very nearly stole the show and sort of spared their blushes because the Tampa were up, you know, and then Atlanta scored 10 in the fourth and the game goes to overtime and, you know, Matty Ice has has a uh, has a, a good day, but not a day that's enough to win in the game. Okay, he throws a pick, but he still throws nearly 400 yards. He's 37 of 45, two TDs. He's targeted Julio Jones 13 times. He's found him 12 times. You know, like, the guy still performed, So and they lost. So I think that's more of a question of, yeah, he didn't necessarily look at his best at times, but... You look at those stats and it's hard to say he had a terrible day. It's just some of the decision-making at key moments. So I think it's because they left it too late. From a Tampa Bay perspective, of course, Winston effectively won in the game. And I'm delighted about that based on our preseason predictions. But Fair. I, I wouldn't say that he came out of this He came out of this with a positive you know, light on him. But I think he, he wasn't – they were closer to losing it, to be honest with you. I, I think they faded. And I think that would be the concern I have. I mean, he t- – targeted Mike Evans nine times and he actually only threw to him three so I mean the concern about accuracies is still there I think um, and the sort of staring down receivers kind of thing but at, you know what 
they're three and four, so a hell of a lot better than last year's record. They can only be pleased about the direction things are going. You take it season by season with with new Q, QBs next year. He's going to know the offense better. He's going to know the playbook better. Wins against Atlanta are massive. I think the most important thing out of this game was definitely the uh, the news. I didn't really realize it, but the news and performance by Quan Alexander after the death of his brother during the week um, was slightly moving to see someone so motivated and come out and perform so well. I thought he was the best defensive player. They even gave him the game ball. Um, he had an interception. He had something like six solo tackles, 11 combined. I mean, what a performance from someone who would lose a family member. So I think in that sense, it's more about that, about Quan Alexander than it is about Jameis Winston. And yeah, I mean, Tampa with a win that surprised us all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and I think, I think a lot of it, and considering the performance as a, as a singular game performance, it's hard to attribute too much uh, to Doug Martin, but after the after the sort of mare of a season that he had last season, the poor start to this season, you know, a, a lot of the a lot of the troubles that a young quarterback will have is based on whether or not he has any sort of assistance on the offensive side of the ball. A lot of the reason that you see Teddy Bridgewater seeming to settle in as the season progresses is because he has a guy like Adrian Peterson behind him. You know, the reason that Landry Jones wasn't complete crap uh, whenever he was filling in for both Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Vick is simply because he had Le'Veon Bell behind him and D'Angelo Williams to follow up behind him. Uh, You know, Jameis Winston has had no rushing help. And even though 71 yards isn't really much to talk about, 71 yards is a lot to talk about for Doug Martin going into, you know, week eight uh, of this season. And it was, I mean, again, not a huge performance, but you can tell that just having that sort of alleviated support uh, on on, on the ground uh, helped Winston just have the ability to sit back and actually throw the ball, which was huge for him today. Uh, you know, whether it was the toss for the, for the touchdown or, or the, the 21 yard takeoff for the, for the, for the touchdown on the ground, uh, you know, it makes a big difference. Yeah. He, he certainly looked improved in those, those sort of pivotal moments, I have to say. Um, and yeah, right. I mean, 78 yards isn't a lot, but I think in the context of the game, it's enough. If you can take the pressure off here and there and you use your running back to sort of make the first downs. Absolutely. There's no reason why that, well, that's exactly what you need your running back to do. So definitely a positive thing. Um, just think that the season, again, one of those situations where they're in a much better position than they were last year. There's a long way to go still, but I think if they can pull out more wins like this, even if it's not convincing, then that will give a QB confidence. And we all know that a quarterback with confidence is a better quarterback. Absolutely, and moving to moving to the to the opposition uh, on this one with Atlanta uh, after a five and zero start and a really really quality five and zero start, they dropped to six and two after the last three weeks. Um, you know they they lose they lose two of their last three, barely squeaking out a win over the Tennessee Titans of all teams. Um, I, uh, my my question here would be. Based on, you know, as you so endearingly call him, Matty Ice, uh, and, and this link up with Julio Jones, uh, coupled with the performance, uh, really across the board that they had today, you know, uh, Devonta Freeman has 88 yards on the ground. As you said, Matt Ryan puts up almost 400 yards and two touchdowns. Is there any reason for Atlanta, 
uh, and Atlanta fans to be to be worried at this point going forward into the back half of the season. Uh, you know, they're performing well, but not quite enough on the end product to really put up the numbers in order to beat a team like Tampa Bay. Is this a time to be to be a little scared? No, not at all. I, I, I wouldn't be too concerned. Okay, you lose to the Saints, you beat the Titans in a narrow game, then you lose to the Bucks. But I really, you know, they got the they got the 49ers next, so that's already a W. So they're back on track after that. And so then, defeatist, I love it. <laughs> when you look at their running, I mean, yeah, okay, they got the Colts who are a little bit resurgent. Um, they've got to go back and get revenge. Uh, they got the Vikings, that's a winnable game, but that might be a key game. Then they got the Bucks, they can get revenge because they'll know where they went wrong, I think they might blow them out the water on that. And then they got the Panthers, which will be a very exciting game. But then they got the Jags, the Panthers, and the Saints. So I think there's enough wins there to be had to see them in the postseason. And they deserve to be there after the start they made. Obviously, the games against Carolina will be pretty decisive for the NFC South. But um, I think that there's enough in there to, to turn things over. Another win against Tampa, maybe beat the Saints this time rather than lose. You get wins against the Jags and the Niners. I think there's enough there for them to to push on through. I wouldn't be too concerned though. Interesting, interesting. I I I go into I go into their next, you know, set of games, especially after a loss like this that, you know, at, at times can be rather demoralizing. I go I I go forward with a little bit more with a little bit more fear um uh for the Atlanta Falcons, but we'll have to see how that plays out. We'll have to see how that 12 and 4 uh prediction of yours holds up. Uh, mm. A strong prediction indeed, but, uh, you know, uh, football is football a- a- after all. So moving Absolutely. on moving on to something that's a little bit uh, more exciting than this one. Uh, no Crazy. Uh, you almost don't have words for a performance <laughs> like this. It's a touchdown fiesta. Not only does Breeze break the record for touchdowns in a single game, but Eli Manning puts up a similar performance with six touchdowns off the back of it. No interceptions. Nearly a perfect game uh, for Eli Manning. And that pains me to my absolute core. To no, say. no, right. Tell me about it. But it's just an absolute shootout. And New Orleans, based on uh, a, a singular a singular field goal, uh, come, up with, come up with a win here. Uh, I, I almost don't even know how to start this other than thoughts <laughs> well i think somebody made the point after the game that new york allowed them 20 20 seconds to to take the winning field goal was interesting um they didn't sort of get themselves sorted and and prevent that from happening but that was interesting especially with the game being so high scoring but hey let's be honest any game that offers you over 100 points you have to be uh, you have to be excited about um i I can't believe that Drew Brees pulled New Orleans back from where they were. Um, you know, the Saints scored 14 points in the first three quarters, scored 10 in the fourth, and I thought, okay, they've dropped off before they scored the TD to to take it to to sort of take it to the winning position, as it were. It feels like overtime, but it wasn't. Um, the, but the Giants scored 21 in the fourth, and be very wary because the Giants are becoming very good at coming back and, and getting themselves in games in the fourth quarter. So they're never really finished when you think that they are. The, the disappointing thing from a Giants perspective is that they lost this game. 
your QB has an unbelievable day and uh, you still lose. I think, ironically, didn't isn't that Drew Brees' record? He didn't equal the Peyton Manning record, right, of seven TDs in a game. Is mm-hmm. that right? So how bad is that for Eli Manning? Not only do you lose, but the guy you lose to equals a record that your brother set. It's a double whammy. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was, this is remarkable. I mean, Benjamin, Benjamin Watson, who, let's be honest, hasn't been the number one New Orleans Saints wide receiver, puts up 150 almost and a TD. He's, he has an unbelievable game as a wide out for them. Um, Odell Beckham is just a beast for the Giants. Eight eight catches, 130 yards, three TDs. He was a monster. Three touchdowns. I mean, Honestly, it, it, especially in a league like this, I you know I I almost hate to interrupt you because there's so there's so much to talk about with this game. But in in the modern game, it's it's it almost seems it almost seems unbelievable that with the way that quarterbacks work through their progressions, with the way that wide receiver cores are built nowadays, it almost seems insane to think that a wide receiver can pull off three touchdowns after, you know, swinging eight of nine targets at 130 yards. You know, huge game for a guy like Odell Beckham, especially for, uh, you know, such a young player who's trying to solidify himself into the elite of the wide receivers in, in, in this league. And he does so against... You know, in the midst of a game where it it asks for, it begs for a marquee receiver, you have Odell Beckham Jr., who has so much hype around him. How unbelievable is that to, to you know to see again? You know, I, I hearken back to the days of like you know, as we mentioned before, a, a Calvin Johnson, where you come out of this game and even in a loss, that player looks good, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. now, and that's just it, it's incredible to see for a sophomore season. Uh, you know, for for you know, again, such a, a a young wide receiver. Absolutely, and for a Giants team, a Giants team that right. hasn't necessarily been associated with having great wide receivers. No, not at all. They have the receivers who can catch it, you know, against their helmet, and then completely disappear. From the league. <laughs> but they've never had a marquee. I guess not never, but they have hardly had the marquee receiver in the league, and that very well. You know, especially here in the upcoming years, as you as you reach the sort of potential retirement age for for a guy like Calvin Johnson, you know, you have an Odell Beckham Jr. who's stepping up and and really solidifying that role for himself. Absolutely. And the other thing was this is just a straight shootout between two QBs. There were there was no rushing on the day. Basically, I mean, Ingram has eighty for the Saints. Jennings has fifty four. It was just a shootout. It was, it was, and and the one note that I will make on the rushing side of the ball, which seems so, so unbelievably irrelevant, is that for a New Orleans Saints team who, for the you know, basically under the reign of Sean Payton, has has had that sort of three back, four back system where all the carries are split. You know, personal performances is is hardly a topic. You know, you have Mark Ingram who goes sixteen for eighty, puts up five yards of rush. You have. C.J. Spiller, who goes four for 21, just puts over five yards a rush. Um, you know, it seems like it seems like with this game, you know, obviously you have the performances of a Beckham Jr., of an Eli Manning, of a Drew Brees, but at the same time, it seems like it seems like the the shout has to be made that the consistency and the quality per rush 
of the New Orleans Saints offense, which is not something that we really talk about that often. You know, I I think on the whole they ended up averaging something like four point five yards a carry. That's that's massive for a guy yeah. like Drew Brees who's on his way, you know, to throwing seven touchdowns. It's huge. That does make a difference. It eats away, and uh, you're right. But I just felt like, you know, QBs combined eight fifty yards. That's just that's bonkers. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And it looked so dire there at the very end. It, it, I mean, there was no defense. We have to sort of talk about that. that you know, the, the fact that Eli Manning can throw a pass to what's his name? Uh, yeah, Dwayne Harris, who caught two TDs on the day. You know, falling back, Harris over the top of three defenders. I mean, three cornerbacks. I, I didn't. I didn't think that the defense came out of this one uh, glittering, shall we say? Oh no! And and to be fair, since the days of the Saints Super Bowl run, the New Orleans defense has hardly been been a unit to be feared. But no. on the flip side of the ball, you know, it, it it looks hopeful for the Giants there at the very end, where uh, surprisingly the winning the winning points come from not a touchdown. Uh, especially through the air, but from a field goal, um, uh, you know. But you see, in the in the, in the third and fourth quarter, respectively, two interceptions thrown by Breeze. One of them goes for you know uh, a sixty-yard touchdown. Huge day and a huge effort, really. You know, despite allowing fifty-two points, you know, because sometimes you know you you just have to accept that Drew Breeze's quality. Drew Breeze can do this to a team if he's allowed the room, and the Giants allowed the room for it. But they do make a pushback in the second half that's vitally important, and it almost makes a huge difference. You know, as you said, you know, uh, this is this is a Giants team that has had uh, on several occasions this season the opportunity and succeeded to make a a second half comeback, and it looked very nearly like this was just going to be another one. Absolutely, but you have to you have to look at both teams though. They're both four and four. What does that say about their season? Yeah, they're they're exciting. They win last-minute games, or it goes down to the wire. Or they can come back and put themselves in a good position, but ultimately, it's far too inconsistent, and that's the problem both teams have at the moment. Indeed, and and unfortunately, again for both teams, it's on it's on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, Eli Manning throws up six touchdowns, almost goes for perfect today, uh, but again, it. You know, that's not a typical Eli Manning. And the same, unfortunately, can be said for Drew Brees, who's been such a prolific quarterback in the past half decade. Uh, that's it, a, a mixed season, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's not something that you really expect. You know, that's not something you really expect out of the Saints. But to a certain extent, you can expect that sort of wishy-washy inconsistency from Eli Manning. But typically, they still come out with a positive record at this point in the season. And that's just... That it may not be the case, but boy, did they show up today! All right, not yeah. today. I keep saying today. It's one well, I think. I think. I think we, uh, the the listeners will know what you mean. We still feel like we're in the stadium. It's good. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, we're here live at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jim Nance and Phil Simms. <laughs> <laughs> well, and moving on to another game, which we are uh, somehow impossibly live at, of course. Is the <laughs> Oakland win over the New York Jets? As I said last week in 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 my closing comments, uh, the red hot Jets weren't so red hot today, and they weren't poor. Uh, if you ask me, especially uh, you know on both sides of the ball, for the most part, they looked solid. You know, again, thirty four points allowed is is nothing to laugh at, but at the same time, they they looked good. Yeah, but, but two dropped. field goals in the first half is just not good enough. You know? Right. 
Right. Well, and I, you, you, you imagine to a certain ex- extent that comes from starting Geno Smith, but we'll move on to that in a minute. The main reason that the Jets lose today is because of the combination of Derek Carr, Latavius Murray, and Michael Crabtree. You know, again, at the beginning of the season, you don't expect to be saying those three names and adding the adjective fearless to it. But they were on point today. Again, Derek Carr putting up another fantastic performance. Uh, you know, Michael Crabtree with two touchdowns, Latavius Murray with 113 yards on the ground. It was just an offensive field day for the Oakland Raiders. And I, excuse me if I'm wrong, but the last time I think we were allowed to say that out loud in person was, I don't know, 2001 with Rich Gannon. I mean, how long has it been since you've been able to talk <laughs> about the Raiders' offense in a positive light? A long time, but dare I say it, but are they not the most of Everside representing for the Bay Area at the moment? I mean, that whole yeah. stretch up there, you consider who's who's in that bracket. Seahawks have been very inconsistent. Niners have been so beyond terrible, I can't even begin to talk about it. Oakland... Who would have thought that they would be the team to come out this season and be as impressive as they are? I mean, of course, everybody thought Derek Carr was going to be good, but not 23 of 36 for 333 and four TDs and no picks good. I mean, that's insane. Um, And also, Michael Crabtree, seven receptions, 102 yards, obviously not past it, still got some magic in his feet, not a mediocre wide receiver. You know, all of these things come together. Latavius Murray, off the supposed scrap heap, 113 yards, 20 carries, massively turning over the game, offers the, the Raiders another another outlet on offense. I mean, they've, they've got a positive record. They've got a winning season at the moment. And to be honest with you, fair play to them. Um, they've got a QB who finally has who's been working really hard, He's obviously got together and finally sorted out his issues with the offense. I think a lot of teams would love to have a QB like Derek Carr in their team, but probably not many people would shout about it. I think that's the sort of how you would explain the situation. But credit, where credit is due, yes, the Jets are often their own failures when it comes to losing games, but I have to give the Raiders further credit on a defensive side of things. They stopped Chris Ivory. I mean, the guy had 15 carries for 17 yards. I was about to say, brilliantly so. After the performances he's put in in this first half of the season, he was absolutely stuffed. He was. And it's almost like, well, where have you been? Why haven't you been doing this all the time, you know, Oakland? Because <laughs> those kind of numbers are DeMarco Murray numbers. That's great. Like, you, if you're stopping someone, and that's obviously modern day DeMarco Murray. Mm, um, right. <laughs> But, uh, you know, if you're stopping someone who's who's basically been the heartbeat of their offense, I would go so far as to say, in recent weeks, then, you know, kudos. I'm also not a big fan of bringing the Geno back. I think it's a terrible decision. Uh, Fear the Beard has been pretty decent recently. Why would you change that? Um, obviously not a popular guy in the locker room, blah, 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 but... This was not really about the New York Jets. This was about Oakland, the Oakland Raiders, and they they deserved it. I mean, honestly, they've been impressing me now for a while. And uh, I was just, I've, Derek Carr might be one of my favorite non-talk about QBs in in the NFL. <laughs> right, right. Well. And- 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And I, on, the point of, on the point of Latavius Murray, because, you know, you look, like, you, you look at a guy like Derek Carr and you, you, you just have to say, wow. You look at Michael Crabtree, who's showing who's showing in this game the things that he did when he played ball in college for the first time in forever, you know, and you, you see these other receivers as well that, that, that add to that total of 333 yards for Carr, whether it's Taiwan Jones's 60-yard bomb run, his only catch of the day, his only target of the day. Amari Cooper and Andre Holmes both put up nearly 50 yards. Uh, but the real talk here, in my opinion, is... Latavius Murray, and specifically that if you look at the numbers on the day, 25 rushes for 18, 118 yards, 20 of those rushes and 113 of those yards go to Latavius Murray. Now, we've seen in the past with quarterbacks uh, and running backs in Oakland where they've had, they, 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 they tend to stick to this older, or I guess oddly so, this older style system of a single running back that has the brunt of the carries and 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 puts points on the board, puts yards on the ground. But it, it's it's a dying system, and Oakland has maintained that. But they haven't had any sort of quarterback assistance. You know, whether it's been Jamarcus Russell or for a year Carson Palmer or whatever the case may be. Now all of a sudden you've got a young guy like Latavius Murray, 
a young guy like Derek Carr, and a young guy in the receiving core in Amari Cooper with the additional help of Michael Crabtree, and you have a complete offense, you know, for the first time in years, absolute years. And a lot of it, you know, will be attributed to Derek Carr for the numbers that he puts up, especially after a four-touchdown performance. But I have to say, credit on my end has to go to Latavius Murray, who breaks out of that sort of Darren McFadden-style slump and, and shows that, you know, the Oakland Raiders can not only have a good running back, but they can good ha- they can have a good offensive unit that revolves around a quarterback, a running back, and a pair of wide receivers that are going to take them places. Absolutely. I think the um, McFadden comparison is particularly apt. It's exactly the right type of player, and both, you know, you could say from the scrap heap kind of thing, what a performance by Murray. And last but not least, the one that I have to bring up, even even in spite of truly, for the first time on this pod, today's performance, the one that actually happened today, uh, the other one that I have to talk about, and I'm sure you want to talk about as well, is the Denver-Green Bay game. Definitely. Aaron Rodgers is, bar none, the best quarterback in the NFL. Bar I'm none. Glad we, I, I'm glad we agree on this, yes. And... As as shocking as it is to even say, he was stuffed. He was absolutely shut down. You know, the, the guy puts up mediocre numbers. They get he gets no help from Eddie Lacy. And over the course of the entire game, there are what sixty offensive plays, sixty, and that's coming from the Green Bay Packers, who are so offensive possession based as a squad, where you just you just don't expect those kinds of numbers at all. And, and and they have an absolute mare on the day. If it wasn't for rushers, though, if it wasn't for running backs, the Broncos bow out early, which is not something, again, we talk about this every week, that you expect out of a Peyton Manning team. But Peyton Manning, you know, give him credit. He gets his 300 yards, but no touchdowns and an interception on the day. If you don't have guys like Ronnie Hillman, then you don't have a, you don't even have a game. You have a low scoring. I really don't know who actually won this game. It seems more like Green Bay lost. Instead, you have the running backs for the first time all season step up when Peyton Manning is having a, having a poor day. Uh, you know, especially on, on the output end, on the, on the scoring end. And they secure a, you know, almost a 20 point win over the Green Bay Packers in the battle of the undefeated teams. Surprisingly, the Denver Broncos come out on top. Uh, I'm sure you've got plenty to say on this. Yeah, but can we also have a word about the Denver defense? I mean, holy mother of Mary, but what did they... Massive, Were they not three players or three force fumbles? I think I read that somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were unbelievable. DeMarcus Ware was a beast. Uh, When you sack Aaron Rodgers three times, that says a lot. Although I was looking at the way Rodgers was moving in the pocket... And he did actually have a lot of time on a lot of occasions, but no one was open. So that, that that credit on the defensive side of the ball in the Broncos goes to the cornerbacks and the safeties, the defensive backs basically as as much as it does to the guys up front. You know, I I just thought all round absolutely solid performance. And you know, we slated him at the beginning of the year, but Peyton Manning throws three hundred and forty yards. Yeah, he doesn't throw a pick. Uh, he doesn't throw a TD. He does throw a pick, but he doesn't throw anything sort of score in terms of getting touchdowns, but he sets everything up. Yeah, CJ Anderson and Ronnie Hillman, as you said, very important, run the TDs in, make make all the points happen, basically. But 
Demarius Thomas is 168 yards, right? You know, he just plays and picks people and he makes massive decisions at the right time. And he throws the long ball and, you know, we were like, oh, he can't do that anymore. And uh, obviously, who are we? Um <laughs> You have to give the guy credit, and you know, he any side that's seven and zero. I mean, hey, the Packers don't need to worry. They're six and one. They'll be fine. They'll be in it to win it at the end, or they'll be there or thereabouts. But as much as we talk about uh, Peyton Manning, uh, we have to also talk about the defense because they were amazing, and we talked about it in preseason. I think it's pretty clear. I would almost go. I think the Broncos have the best D in in the NFL. I think they, oh. they showed that showed that tonight against the best. QB, they showed how to shut them down. They shut them down on the run game. Green Bay were left with absolutely nothing. Ten points, woof. And uh, yeah, that's that's how you destroy an, a game plan uh, of Aaron Rodgers. Right, right. Well, and the, and the most shocking stat out of all of it, honestly, is the 77 yards. I can't yeah. remember a time since Aaron Rodgers took over for Brett Favre. I'm talking the history of this guy's starting career where – He's been held to 77 yards. You know, you you make the argument, and and rightfully so, that the Denver Broncos have the best defense in the NFL. But to put out a performance like that is just is just bar none. It's it's borderline unstoppable. It's the lowest in his career. There you go. Right, right, and unsurprisingly so. You know, you you attribute Aaron Rodgers. To, to, to several different things. And, you know, some of them can be humorous, like, uh, you know, like these ridiculous state farm commercials. But, uh, on the other end, <laughs> you know, you, you attribute him to 200 yards or more. You know, I, I don't even think he drops below 200 yards on a consistent basis. And this time he can't even get, you know, just barely three quarters of the way there, uh, you know, to, to the, to the century mark on yards. Just absolutely shut down. And I guess the question here is that the, the old adage, of course, goes, offense wins games, defense wins championships. And it seems, even if for a 7-0 and team, it seems perhaps a little early to even ask this question, but I like to break the rules, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Does defense for the Denver Broncos potentially win them a championship this year. Yeah, absolutely. I've always said it. Defense wins the championships, which is why the Seahawks won. If you've got a good defense and your offense has enough variation, and we've obviously seen that that's the case in the Broncos, and I know we've doubted it and worried about it, but with their defense stepping up and playing another level, I just found another stat for you. No unit has ever held an Aaron Rodgers-led offense to fewer yards than Denver did. So, to be honest with you, if that's not enough to back up and support your statement in a positive sense, then I don't know what is. Because, to be honest, that on this performance, we should really be saying the Broncos will be in the Super Bowl. I mean, based on what you've seen, not only in this performance, but really, I mean, especially with this, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the term floundering, but I, I want to use a term that I can't quite come up with that's very, very similar and almost to the point of floundering. That is the Peyton Manning as a quarterback situation that the Denver Broncos are dealing with. They still find themselves at 7-0, and and it's not off the back of C.J. Anderson. It's not off the back of Ronnie Hillman, and you no. know, based on a performance like this, it's not off the back of Peyton Manning. It's off the back of an incredible, incredible defense, and if, if they don't find themselves in the Super Bowl because of that, it's it has to be because someone somewhere, somehow, 
finally figured out a way past that defense. And or, to be honest or with you, the there's offense, no questions there. Or the offense has a really bad day. But I can't even see that. Like, right. Even if the offense has a bad day, the defense is good enough to turn it around, which tells you exactly how good that defense is. So just a quick shout to the rest of the games because that wraps up the main ones that we want to talk about. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Ryan Tannehill is completely shut out while Tom Brady is, admittedly, Tom Brady once again, and the Patriots extend their undefeated record, uh, putting themselves as one of the four remaining teams, a record-breaking amount uh, of four remaining teams that are 7-0 and going into Week 8. Patriots-Broncos Super Bowl looks likely, eh? That, indeed it does, and what a Super Bowl that would be. An ecstatic, you know, Patriots offense against a Broncos defense. That'd be, a, that'd be a battle. Tasty. Josh McCown receives no help from the ground game. 40 yards on the day from all those who even attempted to pass the line of scrimmage. While Chris Johnson, I can't even believe I'm saying that name, and Carson Palmer dominate once again. Cardinals win. But Chris Johnson fumbled the ball twice, I think, didn't he? So Arizona want to clean up their uh, their turnovers. And can we have a shout out not just to uh, Palmer, but also to Gary Barnage, yeah. who's got six six TDs in the season and is probably one of the, uh, the discoveries or the surprises of the season. Yeah, the Browns don't win any games, but Gary Barnage wins points. Wins points indeed. San Francisco. I'm going to pause here. Quick moment of silence for the 49ers are atrocious as Colin Kaputnik earns a place on the bench as news breaks while Todd Gurley helps pound a victory away for the St. Louis Rams. I was impressed with Todd Gurley, I have to say. Uh, yeah, look, talk about my own team. Disastrous week. We traded away Vernon Davis to the Broncos, who, let's be honest, that is even more exciting for the Broncos. Vernon Davis, I wouldn't be surprised if Vernon Davis won them the Super Bowl or like got them to the Super Bowl. Uh, Peyton loves a tight end. So, uh, yeah, from a 49ers perspective, this was terrible. Um, Kaepernick wasn't aware of anything. The best example was when we decided to give the ball to Carlos Hyde in the end zone and he just got tackled for safety. And I was just like, well, didn't you see? Couldn't you have pulled out that? <laughs> didn't you see the guy running in? Like, oh, it's terrible. Um, I believe you made a comment prior to the pod, and I just want to make sure that it's also said on air because I personally was shocked by it and I would, I would like you to review your sort of logic on it uh about Jim Tom Sula oh of course uh yeah I think uh, the Jim Tom Sula experiment has has got to come to a swift end uh I know there might be 49ers fans that disagree with me but I think you can tell that he's completely underqualified and overwhelmed for the coaching job we don't look dangerous enough on either side of the ball um it's kind of sad that one week we look good in offense, the next week we look good on defense, and since then it's just gone downhill. The fact that we're benching our QB effectively tells me that we'll be trading our QB, which is a real shame for a QB that set up the <clears throat> set alight the Super Bowl against the Ravens three years ago. Um, it's just uh, an absolute mess. I think Jed York has a lot to answer for, but I don't think Jim Tom, Jim Tom Suler is the right man to, to get us going in the right direction. And it's a shame to say that because obviously the players like him, but, you know, we're just not good enough. Uh, and I'm not saying this squad is, is, is better than the record we have at the moment, which I have to sadly say is two and six. But well, I spoke to you before about it. We have three players left, four if you count 
Uh, Alex Boone. Thank you. He's moved from um, left guard to right guard. So from the Super Bowl season when we lost to the, the Raiders, three players, that amount of turnover, as we said, as you correctly pointed out, that takes time, but it also takes an experienced coach, I think. And I don't think to throw a new coach into that mix as well is good. It doesn't work out. Everybody is being evaluated. Tom Sula keeps telling us, well, that probably includes him as well. I, I, it's not a football decision from Jed York to put him in charge. I think that's the problem. There's a man who doesn't know anything about football. He's running the club like a business. And uh, I could go on, but you know, we, we got rid of Jared Hain, right? Who he's been probably one of the most exciting things we've discovered. Yeah, okay, he's not you know amazing, but he's been interesting and developing. And then we we signed him back because uh, Reggie Bush is injured. And Gaskins isn't a season, no less. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's just kind of like it's just a mess. It's just horrible. I kind of want our season to end. Um, Just forfeit the rest of the games. (laughs) As I say, I could go on, but that's how I felt. And we got let's let's bear this in mind. I think someone said we have something like two hundred yards in the last two games, or or something like that. Like you know, uh, two field goals against the Rams. Ugh, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. I wanted to make sure that that got shared with the, you know, six listeners in the living room, uh, just to make sure that they heard that out loud. They've all left the living room now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, right, because they clearly came from your fan base rather than mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and yet another game is decided by field goals, and in a season where field goals have become vitally important as Justin Tucker hits perfect for five to lift the crap Ravens above the crap Chargers. Either Roethlisberger is not ready for a return quite yet with three interceptions on the day, or the Bengals' defense is that good. I, of course, as a Steelers fan, tend to err on the side of the ladder that the Bengals' D is indeed that good, and Cincinnati stays perfect, while Le'Veon Bell sadly drops. I think they're, I think they're still being evaluated there, am I correct? Oh, he's out for the season. Out for the season, God. Oh. How do you feel about that? I almost cussed. I almost cussed on purpose, if that helps. (laughs) That hurts. Now, I will say D'Angelo Williams, obviously, uh, especially with his statistics on the day, I think he had something. It was was something ridiculous. He had like seven or eight yards of carry. It doesn't hurt that bad, but you don't like to see – you don't like to see any players go down, especially with injury, but you definitely don't like to see young, exciting, explosive players go down as you know indeed especially whenever there's a you know you have such an issue with 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 Ben Roethlisberger returning from injury as well you lose a guy like that like Le'Veon Bell on the return of Roethlisberger it's a sad indictment thus far it absolutely is four and four what do you reckon you're gonna sort yourself out and get in the playoffs uh yeah, I would say so. In my own little version of predict, I'm the so record. jealous. <laughs> in my own little version of predict the record, I think we'll squeak in with a ten and six. I think we're probably going to lose on the double to Cincinnati, but I don't think the Ravens get one over us at the later latter well, end of the season. They don't have Steve Smith; he's out for the season, which is a real shame because it's his final year, I believe. But uh, yeah, that will help you in your quest for the playoffs. Indeed, indeed. Uh, speaking about quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota is missed while. Zach Mettenberger is maligned in a sad who? loss to the Houston Texans. Who, who who did you say was playing? Mettenberger. Who who I don't I don't know who that is. Well, I don't know who it is either. He's a long uh, name. Yeah, well, isn't that a lot of M's there. Isn't that like a lost state somewhere in America or something? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 
Zach Matt murder. <laughs> uh, abysmal on the day. Crap game of the week officially goes to the Seattle Seahawks, who yes, somehow see, thank win. You. you are my friend. You are my friend. Oh, it was terrible. A 13-12 to 12 win somehow over Dallas, who continue to flounder without their star players. Seattle, of course, has all their star players, and they're still indeed. Yeah, right, crap. that's the thing. I mean, Des came back in this game, but he was very quiet. But I don't understand why the Cowboys keep persisting with Matt Castle. I think Brandon Whedon isn't as bad as he's been been made out to be. Like, is he that much worse? I mean, look at Castle's numbers. Is he that much worse, or sorry, is he that much better than um, <coughs> Brandon Whedon, who got so much criticism? Matt Castle, 13 of 25 for 97 yards. I mean, well, really? Whedon, you know, I hearken back to the Atlanta game. Whedon put up a performance. Now, he couldn't quite handle the yeah, red exactly, zone but at least he was in it. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the Falcons in that game, uh, you know, not to spend too much time on uh, on a pass game, but the Falcons in that game were indeed more clinical, like we talked about in the in in the red zone and in the end zone. But at the same time, Whedon got them there. You just didn't have any help from Joseph Randall in the running game. Exactly. Well, the Cowboys had no help from Darren McFadden. Yeah, twenty carries for sixty-four yards. And from a Seahawks perspective, I think Lockett, Ricardo Lockett is out for the season with a neck injury. So that's a bit of a loss for them. So but many um, injuries. so many injuries this week. Yeah, it's been so, but not just injuries, sort of a season-ending injuries, which is very interesting mm. to see. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how teams pick themselves up after that. After this this week of uh, destruction, week eight has been destruction week. Indeed, for players and teams alike. And last but not least, in you know, speaking of destruction, an overtime shootout and nearly a 17-point-plus comeback for the Indianapolis Colts as Andrew Luck goes from bad to decent to worse in another 26-29 loss. I Just uh, almost painful to talk about. You hate it for the guy. Well, you do because we sort of said he was going to be in the Super Bowl this year, so uh, we look good. for us. Yeah, we look like serious experts. Right, right. We always talk about <laughs> journalist and analyst Jonathan Harding. <laughs> yeah, We're right. Both just journalist idiots. And analyst. It's really what it is. We're like joke and idiot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> fair enough. Oops. Oops, that's all me, by the way, not you. I'm, I'm <laughs> far less offensive than you. Hey, I'm I'm just the guy who I'm just the guy who passes on all the all the talk. That's all I do. <laughs> no, you have many pearls of wisdom, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on to like always, or I guess quote-unquote like always, to predict the record. Now, just like always, uh, for as many times as we've done this, John has absolutely no idea who I've picked for this week. So this will all be off the cuff, uh, talking about uh, you know some of the teams, especially now that we're here mid-season, as things have changed, as things have progressed, we move on and talk about four more teams that John will have a crack at, so to speak. Uh, and see if he can't get it right at the end of the season. Of course, uh, whenever the season ends and we reach the playoffs, we'll go back and review and see just how good Jonathan Harding is at all of this, which, uh, again, as you know, uh, the Indianapolis Colts was more on me than anybody else, but apparently we're crap at this. So here goes. John, are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. First, the Miami Dolphins. Oh, the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Odd team, oh. new coach. Current record is three and four, is that correct? Yes. I don't like Ryan Tannehill, who does. Um, Seven and nine. 
Really? They get mm-hmm. that close to evens. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think six and ten's a little too harsh on them. Seven and nine. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, number two. And I think you'll have a lot of fun with this one. Oh, no. The Carolina Panthers. Oh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, <laughs> how do you predict a team that hasn't lost? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, not only that, but how do you predict a team that hasn't lost? And when they've won, it hasn't been in a resounding manner. You know, yeah, you exactly. might be able to go balls close. to the wall and predict like a like a Patriots to to make it to a perfect season or the Broncos to make it to a perfect season. But now you've got the Carolina Panthers who don't look convincing in any of their wins, but seem to keep winning. <laughs> Eleven and five. Ooh, dropping off five of their last nine, huh? Yeah, I th- I think based on the fact that lots of those games have been close. I think that's what's going to happen. Interesting call. That's definitely one I'll have to keep, you know, in, <laughs> in the books. <laughs> All right, number three, powerhouse. Lose for the first time, the Green Bay Packers. I'm not worried. I'm really not worried about Packers. Thirteen and three. I'm not worried. Ooh, the best thus far. I'm not worried. I'm really not worried. <laughs> wow. Again, another one for the books. And last but not least. A team flying high, flying very high at the moment, which makes sense because they're birds. The Arizona oh, Cardinals. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like the Cardinals, even though they might do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't think they're going to have you know necessarily. They they fade quickly as well. Um, by the way, can we have some sort of like legally binding thing here, which says like this does not include major injuries? <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Okay. Um, uh, I also think. Oh, do I? Is he gonna do it? <laughs> Is he gonna do it? Uh, uh, well, the problem is, I think the Seahawks are gonna win the division. Really, Aren't... from a four and four position? No, they're not. They're not. Cardinals are gonna win the division ten and six. Ten and six. Woo! That's still a heck of a drop off. Yeah, I know. I think teams can do that, though. I think teams are always capable of losing. No, actually, maybe ten, uh, yeah. Let's go eleven and five. Let's be let's be generous. They they're not going to lose that many. They lose three more. That's fine. Eleven and five. And Mister Harding catches me before we move on. Therefore, the eleven and five stands, and that is what we will review at the end of the season. Thus is the call. <laughs> they're all going to be wrong. They're all gonna be- <laughs> if they go ten and six, I'm going to giggle a lot. Yeah, me too. And, of course, what we always like to include uh, towards the end of our podcast is a uh, sacker to NFL team comparison. Uh, as, of course, all of you know, uh, the 4th and 5 NFL podcast is hosted by uh, the Anfield Index channel, uh, which is a, a, a brilliant place to be hosted, uh, to be talking about the NFL, uh, exciting times with the Anfield Index. But the more important point is that with the Anfield Index, uh, you know, uh, the majority of people who listen to this are, uh, you know, they're soccer fans, they're football fans, and all that fun stuff. So what we'd <laughs> like to do uh, towards the end is, is make that comparison uh, so that those who are interested in the NFL, uh, you know, who might be looking for a team, not really sure who to get connected with, uh, uh, might potentially have someone uh, to be connected with. Or if you're interested in the in the NFL in general, then perhaps you can make 
what John and I usually, you know, result with, uh, which is a loose comparison between teams that is probably not backed by any facts at all. So, with the soccer to NFL team comparisons, we got a couple of a uh, couple of fun ones, uh, and I, I think this week I'll start uh, with the Oakland Raiders. You know, we've talked about them a couple of different times uh, on this podcast and on previous podcasts. Uh, and, and what I like about the Raiders is that they've they've floundered a bit in the past, but for the most part, over the course of the recent seasons, they've really made a huge impact. And now, again, sitting at four and three, not a not a highly respectable record, but for the Raiders, it's highly respectable indeed. And the comparison that I'd like to make is with Southampton in the Premier League. Uh, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, geographically, what's kind of cool is that Southampton is, it's a bit of a dock city on the, on the south side, uh, of England, right there along the English Channel. Uh, you know, that's a lot of where their industry comes from is the, you know, is the sort of trade of, uh, of goods. And Southampton is a, is a big port city in England. Whereas, uh, so I guess really so too is Oakland out there on the, the Pacific coast of the United States. Uh, you know, big industrial city. Always has been, always kind of will be, and you can kind of see it with the fans of both teams. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, not to make the comparison. Uh, I apologize to Southampton fans who might be offended, but uh, you know, <laughs> kind of like Newcastle fans. You know, it, you've got this own little niche of individuals who have grown as Southampton fans since the you know their their former Premier League days, from the drop all the way down to the bottom. Which, to be fair, is potentially another comparison. Uh, you know, with Southampton being all the way down in League Two, the Raiders were, uh, to put it succinctly, uh, absolute ass for a long time. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's also that comparison, this sort of rise back to, uh, you know, uh, sort of fame uh, in their respective leagues. Uh, another comparison that is also cool, again, uh, being hosted by the Anfield Index, uh, you, you know, and having acquired so many Southampton players over the years, uh, Southampton have lost a lot of their players. And, and you look at some of them, some of them have been their mainstays that have been replaced well. Uh, others are still looking for, you know, uh, some sort of quality replacement. You know, Southampton have lost, uh, you know, Adam Lallana, Ricky Lambert. Uh, they've lost Nathaniel Klein. They've lost Dejan Lovren. Uh, they've lost Morgan Schneiderlin. Uh, and they've been replaced by quality players. And you look back over the course of Raiders seasons, and they've also lost a lot of their sort of mediocre-ish to good players. Uh, you know, Randy Moss had played for them at one point in time. Uh, they finally got rid of Jamarcus Russell. Darren McFadden is gone. And they've been replaced by these high-quality players that we spoke about earlier, like a Derek Carr and Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, Latavius Murray. So a lot of different players incoming and outgoing, but it's been for the betterment of the team. And last but not least, there are a couple of player comparisons that should probably be made. Uh, you know, you've got a new, exciting young playmaker for Southampton in Jordi Klazi coming out of the Netherlands. Uh, and, you know, and you see that sort of comparison with Derek Carr kind of helming everything from the top. Uh, you can also make that sort of comparison with the sort of, you know, fast, you know, deep threat wide receiver and Amari Cooper, uh, as you are with the, you know, with the guy like Sadio Mane, uh, coming out of Austria last season and really making an impact. Some of the bigger teams really attracted to him right now. So if you are a Southampton fan, Looking at getting into the NFL, I highly recommend, especially right now, 
taking a look at the Oakland Raiders. And if you're an Oakland Raiders fan looking at getting into soccer, have a look at Southampton. I tell you what, that might be the most comprehensive comparison we've done. Hats off, sir. That is uh, that's You might fantastic. beat me here. Well, I don't know. I, I'm going to go with uh, the Arizona Cardinals and Bayer Leverkusen, who are a Bundesliga team. Uh, and in case you've fallen off your chair in disbelief, then let me give you some reasons to get back on. <laughs> um, they both wear similar colors. Always a good start, I feel. Always a good um, start. But sort of away from the, the surface facts, Arizona have always been one of those teams that have been in and about. Um, they've never really been all the way there. Um, I remember you, we were talking about it earlier. The conference championship game, I think it's 2008, they lost the Steelers. They've been in division championships. Uh, playoff appearances have happened more often in recent years. They had a, a couple in the, in the 70s, but you know, 2014, you look back, 2009, 2008. So there have been a couple. They're certainly getting to be one of the more consistent sides, particularly in the division that they're in, based on the fact that the uh, 49ers just absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I struggle. I struggle with it every time. Um, but there are also you know, some player comparisons that I think are worth making. You know, Leverkusen. Before I get to players, actually. So Cardinals have been in and about, and I think they're sort of one of those teams that are nearly there getting there. And Leverkusen are the same, you know, they're in and about in a difficult division, in a in a different different difficult league, but they're always in the right place, in the top four sort of thing going in into the Champions League, trying to become a regular side. Cardinals are trying to become a regular playoff side. Certainly got the players to do it. When I look at the current Cardinals roster, they've got some exciting players. Carson Palmer has sort of come out of nowhere and been a revelation. Um you could argue a couple of players in, in the Leverkusen squad have, have been the same. Omar Toprak in defence has, I would say, come out of nowhere and been a real solid player for them in recent years. Lyra Fitzgerald has been at the Cardinals his entire career. Stefan Kiesling has been at Leverkusen for nearly 10 years. So they've both got players that are carrying sort of carrying the flag for the team, as it were. So there are some comparisons on, on both sides. Um, the best... And most amusing comparison is is perhaps that Arizona is in Phoenix. Points for my American geography. It, can, <laughs> it gets quite a big place. Um, and the Phoenix Farmer Handel Group is, in fact, headquartered in Mannheim, Baden-Württemberg, in Germany. So uh, you've got the comparison between the pharmaceutical side of things, uh, between both um, sporting teams. So all in all, the long and short of it is, if you are an Arizona Cardinals fan, then I would recommend that you support the Bayer Leverkusen soccer team and vice versa. If you are a Bayer Leverkusen fan looking for an NFL team to support, you're looking to get involved, I would support the Arizona Cardinals. They're almost certainly the most appropriate side for you to uh, be a fan of. And let's be honest, why wouldn't you want to be in a fan of a team that are certainly going to be doing a lot better in the NFC West than most other teams. So <laughs> Yeah, great time for it. Great time, great time for, it. for it. Jump on, get involved, and uh, be a bird. Yeah, yeah. G- call it bandwagon, but uh, appropriately so. There you go. You got it. Well, I, honestly, I think this feature should be like on some big, busting Hollywood podcast because I think <laughs> it's a really good, I think it's a really good feature, I have to say. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, we are nearing uh, with our six, six listeners in the living room that sort of uh, bursting, busting uh, Hollywood fan base. But, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn. I don't want to toot no, my yeah, own No, you don't want to talk about it too much. You know? <laughs> All right, folks. That has been uh, the 4th and 5 NFL podcast. So, first, a newly not undefeated Packers take on a Carolina defense that proves shaky yet stout, and oftentimes is the key factor to winning them games. Second, Peyton takes his takes on his old squad at the best possible time when confidence is at an all-time low. And third, crack game of the week next week ruins Monday night football as the Chicago Bears try not to suck against the Chargers team that also tries not to suck. I'm Dylan Baker. I'm Jonathan Hardy. And that's the game. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.